PGCE Research Bites from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Hello and welcome to another episode of PGCE Research Bites. And I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by a friend of PGCE Research Bites, a returner. Matthew Green has just finished his PGCE secondary music with us here at Cardiff Met and has completed his second assignment uh, and is here to talk to us about this today. It's a good example of the sort of thing that serving school teachers can do. So rather than um, very much a desk-based, literature-based assignment, which is the first one that you may have heard that came out on the podcast, this one is much more blending literature research with school-based inquiry and using it as a lens to make sense of what happens in the classroom. So this is a great worked example of the sort of thing that school colleagues can be doing no matter when in their career they are. So welcome, Matthew. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. And we're filming this time as well so that this one can come out as a video. So an added level of, of fun for this piece of work. So first of all, can you tell us what your topic was that you chose for this particular assignment and why it was that you chose it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, broadly, I, I, I chose literacy and literacy in, in music. Um, I chose that for an, a number of reasons. Um, obviously, com coming into the teaching profession um, and realising really just how important literacy is to... Um, the learning process, just how important it is as um, a priority for, for all learners, um, especially in Curriculum for Wales as a, as a cross-curricular responsibility. Um, I felt quite um, sort of uh, passionately an, an, an affinity with, with that topic. Um, my background as well, I, I worked um, in, in the music industry for quite some time and I wasn't a performer. Um, I worked in sort of maybe more the business, admin, management side of things. And that was a lot of reading and writing and um, I needed a, a good lit set of literacy skills to get me through that. So I really kind of connect literacy with my development as a musician and the career that I've had in the music industry. So that really appealed to me. Um, and I also felt that um, there was a lot of opportunity maybe that um, in music we, we talk about literacy and we, we tend to focus on one specific part which is oracy which is speaking because I think that is very well connected to performing and, and as a performing musician and yet I also felt that in music we've got fantastic words for loads of different special things and we could begin to explore those and we we use words to, to express our feelings about music so we need kind of a literacy aspect there so I felt that there was a lot more to be explored and that this would be a great opportunity um, to begin that exploration. Well, yeah, you mentioned literacy as a cross-curricular responsibility. And for anyone who's watching or listening to this, who's not from Wales, um, we have got a literacy framework. We have a numeracy framework and a digital competence framework. These are responsibilities that cr cut across our work as teachers, no matter our phase or subject. And I guess it's probably true to say there's been a bit of a sort of dividing up. We've sort of divvied up the work a bit in schools. We've looked at what we can do well and, and what maybe we can't do so well. And it's interesting that those of us in music have tended to gravitate towards the oracy side of things. We've tended to say this is what we do really well. And one of the things that really grabbed me about this piece of work was that you didn't go down that quite easy route, I suppose. You were, you were really determined to keep it broad. Yeah, I, I, I was definitely determined to keep it broad. And I think that was also influenced by my experiences um, 
during COVID times and, and having um, a sort of um, a virtual element to some of my clinical practice. So my first few, well, not my first few lessons, but a chunk of my, my, my first placement were spent teaching online. And that meant actually I, I wasn't able to do so much practical music uh, and, and, I was, and I wasn't able to do so much oracy work at least. So I was thinking more broadly, um, how has music and how has online teaching been able to um, allow me to investigate literacy in, in music? How, how has that changed the way that I taught? So that was kind of a big influencing factor. And, and I kind of came at literacy and music from maybe the other end of the, the spectrum to begin with, thinking that, okay, we, we could, if we wanted to, make literacy a really big part of music in secondary schools. And from that, I kind of thought, well, why don't we? Because um, maybe selfishly, I thought, well, we've got a lot to talk about in music. We've got a lot of different ways. We can we can bring in so many authentic contexts. And I, I felt like I could relate to that from my professional experience as mentioned. So I was really keen to sort of grab a big slice of the pie and just, just run with it and see what music could do. And it was really interesting then to see how that um, viewpoint developed through the research and through my experiences in school. So you took a look at the literature base that's out there and I mean I suppose I, I would have fully expected to see for example Robin Alexander in there author of a dialogic teaching companion I know we we talked about him a little bit um, a while ago in the program but actually you read more widely you know we've got people like Dai Dao in there who yeah. I might not have expected to see in a music assignment so what did you find kind of in the round from your your reading work yeah um well I, firstly I really enjoyed the reading actually um although I had to I had to maybe um, take an extra step and make a bit of effort to find those articles and those resources that talked about literacy and talked about music. I did find them, um, but they weren't all necessarily from the UK. Um, I'll start off though maybe talking a bit about the the UK context. Um, so I, I picked up sort of two key texts that I, I felt these were these were books by Diadal, that was 2014. Uh, the, the title was something like A Secret Literacy. Um, and again, this is a kind. This is I love to read the, the kind of book that other teachers will read. Um, that you you could go into a staff room and and and, and someone will either have or, or have read it and maybe lend you a copy and you can discuss it. And this book made a, a huge advocacy for literacy. It talked about how um, without literacy skills you you can't learn anything else. Um, it mentioned a little bit about the social importance of strong literacy skills. Um, uh, and I was really interested in that sort of sociology mindset as well. I put together that book with um, a, an earlier piece by Harrison, which was more to do with the mechanics of how we learn to read and, and again, why that's important. And those two forms kind of a basic view for me that, yeah, literacy is really important and I, and I can well understand why. But those two books were, were very much focused on kind of the English curriculum, which is slightly different to how, how we're going in, in Wales now. And um, it was also very much what I would describe as language-based language, language -based subjects. So Dardar was an English teacher and Harrison, I think similarly was an English teacher. Um, and so there wasn't necessarily much consideration of how other subjects could, could get involved in that. Um, so, so I needed to then start researching beyond basically. Um, so I, I, I looked at um, sources from Australia and America in particular. What I found was really interesting is in, in both Australia and in both America, they seem to have 
these cross-curricular responsibilities, but they seemed a little bit more embedded in the um, different subject areas or content areas, as it's referred to in America. So I had to learn a little bit of terminology and make sure I was, I was up on that. Um, and also in Australia, they've grouped subjects similar to how we've grouped in, in Wales in that they've got areas of learning. So I wanted not just to have an understanding of how people were doing it, but I also needed an understanding of what specifically people were doing. So I, I just dive deep into various different strategies. Um, we, maybe people are familiar with things like darts, directed activities relating to text. Um, so I, I read up on darts, I read up on um, sort of before, during and after strategies, things like ask the author, which I thought would work great as ask the composer, things like pre-reading strategies for when you're getting to know um, a different piece of music. Um, and, I, and I found it fascinating and all the while I was trying to connect this to my development as a teacher and, and what I was learning. Um, it's also worth mentioning at this stage that in discussing literacy around music, I, I came into sort of three distinct areas. One which I would describe as sort of the the, the um, literate literacy, uh, the traditional literacy, reading and writing, not connected to any kind of subject or, or, or social intent. Then I'd say we have music literacy, which is what we know and associate with how to read music, how to read meaning into music maybe, um, and then maybe critical literacy surrounding music. So that could be almost more media studies, um, almost more uh, cultural capital, understanding why certain music and musics have maybe certain um, connotations within social situations and, and different cultures. So, so I had to make a decision pretty early on in order to structure my research, right, I'm going down the literacy route, and so if it isn't to do with reading, uh, writing or oracy, then it's not going to be relevant this time, interesting as it might be in future. I, 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 was, I was very focused. Yeah. And we've still got the big names of music literature in there, haven't we? I mean, I know we've got Dida, we've got Robin Alexander, but I suppose the danger would be to go all the way down that literacy rabbit hole and not be able to pull it back to our subject domain. So it's interesting to see that, you know, the mighty Keith Swanick still has something to say to us. Lucy Green still has something to say to yeah. us. We've got Martin Fortley in there as well. So you were able to kind of mix those two disciplines together to, to create something useful. That, that was really important for me, actually. Um, Lucy Green's comments on sort of how how we need literacy in music and what that means that it, it connects with what Swanick says as well and and I had this realization that music is multimodal it's not purely literacy whenever we're writing about music that is a technical skill and we need a lot of literacy ability to write about music or write relating to music but that's not necessarily doing music, Swanick would, would, would describe any writing about music as music criticism. And so when I had that idea clear in my head, it, it enabled me to sort of separate things out a little bit more. Um, and, and ultimately what all the music authors said, uh, all the, the music specialists said was, yeah, fine, do your literacy. Whatever you do though, it has to serve the point of the subject. And uh, Robin Alexander as well comments on this. He, he says we need uh, the skills to be able to speak, we need the skills to debate, um, we, we need the skills to talk for, for learning, um, which, is, which is essentially the whole purpose of dialogic teaching. But he said without 
things to speak about without things to talk about, then it kind of makes the whole thing redundant. Um, so for me, it became really cyclical almost. Um, what are you going to do? It, it, are you going to learn a subject and then learn how to talk and write about it? Or are you going to learn to talk and write through doing the subject? And, th and that's a question that I, I can't answer. Um, and I don't think any of the literature really um, was, was absolutely clear on without caveats. Um, and, but I was also fine with that because I was just going through a process. I wasn't seeking to be an authority on this. It's just going through a process to develop my knowledge and understanding and, and ultimately a philosophy that was going to be research informed. So. so having done that research then, you were able to put that into practice on placement in the classroom. Um, and a big chunk of the assignment, you're writing about that process of, I suppose, interrogating what you read in the context of you teaching it in school and, and how that, that created a number of important turning points for your philosophy. So tell us a little bit about, about that kind of process that you went through in school. Yeah, um, well, ultimately it was um, a very reflective process and it involved a lot of moments of having read something and then trying to process it and seeing how it related to to the school context. And it and it used um, several key resources, aka other teachers, experts who I who I had ready access to, and I could have discussions with and, and ask questions of, and and um, that was that was so vital. Um, so if I if I talk a little bit about those those sort of moments and, and those sort of pieces of evidence and, and points of reflection. Um, I had a couple of really, really good conversations with literacy coordinators at um, each one of my uh, clinical practice schools. And that enabled me to understand what each school's approach to literacy within the school was and try and relate that to my experiences in that school. So obviously the first placement I was mostly online and, and some of the things that we were we were able to discuss with the, with the um, with the literacy coordinator in that school, as able to easily implement into my online lessons, basically. Whereas in the in the second placement, we were we were really going um, in for much more practical music because we hadn't been able to do so much of that. So at, at a certain point, I felt oh maybe it's more of a struggle to to do this and do this organically. But that was also a reflection on my ability as a teacher at, at that point. You know, as I was also having a lot to process having gone from online learning into the physical classroom and you know that's hard work <laughs> so you know um, the conversations were really great and really helpful but it had, had to also be a bit pragmatic I wasn't just going to down tools and tell everyone to stop playing the xylophone whilst we get our books out and do tons of writing about the history of the xylophone for example you know whilst that might be great fun it wasn't what I was there to do so those conversations helped me gain more knowledge but help, help me sort of contextualize and be quite pragmatic um, that being said when I did manage to try out different um, techniques I, I reflected on them I wondered why they worked, what was good about them. Um, we were introduced quite early on to something called the Freya model, which I, I really liked as a great way of exploring terminology of, um, or, or, you know, or specialist vocabulary, looking at the etymology of a word, looking at the characteristics of the word, relating it to what students know already and, and finding examples of it, non-examples. And I found that a really great tool to have sort of up my sleeve. And that was a big step forward for me. And uh, I became quite adept at sort of 
um, doing it in full, but also cherry picking little bits of it so that when I was working in practical music, if a, if a, if a word came up, if a student said, oh, why have we only got five notes on our instrument today? Why are we using these five notes? I could talk about the pentatonic scale. I could help them relate that, that word pent, meaning five, to um, you know, a pentagram or, 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 or whatever. Um, not a penthouse, or incidentally, which was one of the non-examples that a student came up with, which was just brilliant. But it, I felt then that I was developing my own skills as, as a literacy, um, as, as, as a music specialist who could involve literacy. Um, I looked very, very carefully and very, very critically at the music, the, the main qualification for music in secondary schools in Wales, which is the WJEC GCSE in music. Um, I'm sure other, others are available, but that seemed to me the, the one that was, um, it was taught in both of my placement schools and would probably be likely that I'd be teaching in, in future years as well. And so I went through the entire syllabus, I went through the examiner's reports, I went through mark schemes, I went through SAMs, I went through past papers, everything. And I was looking at that to establish, you know, almost like a, a systematic review of, of what literacy skills you would need. Some of the questions, some of the skills are explicitly um, assessed. And there's other areas that I felt was hidden literacy or secret literacy where you just, there'd be a cap on your ability to, to secure the highest marks if you didn't have good literacy skills. Um, a, a, a specific um, example would be that in the examiner's reports, they regularly reference the um, sort of, uh, not programme notes, but the, the briefs that students would write for their own compositions. So a student would choose what they want to write music about, and then they would write a brief about it, or they would write some justification for why they've written that particular piece of music. Time and time again in the examiner's report, it said um, the, the compositions that were most successful had really clear and well-written student briefs. And those student briefs aren't assessed, but there's a clear correlation between well-written briefs and the highest marks. So I, I, I put two and two together to, to basically conclude that if students don't have good literacy skills, they won't have the technical vocabulary that is um, expected of them in, in the GCSE appraising exam. They might not have the communicative written skills to write a good brief to support their composition. And ultimately, as a music specialist, I, I would hope that the music would speak for itself. But the reality, not just in WJC, but in the industry as well, from my own experience, is that the music doesn't speak for itself. We have to back it up with words. That's, that's the way we convince people to come to concerts and gigs, is, is usually by the written word, or if not by the written word, by maybe speaking or creating video content, maybe audio content, but traditionally, and for a long time, it has been through oracy or through, through written communication. So I, I could make those connections as to why it was important beyond just the assessment criteria. So that really informed me thinking, well, it's, it's actually quite a huge chunk of the assessment criteria and the syllabus, whether it's explicit or not, we should do more on it. However, just anchoring back, I'm a music specialist, so if I, if I spend 35% of my time just doing literacy, then I'm doing a disservice to music. And, However, that wasn't my viewpoint at the time. That's, that's a viewpoint post the experience. Um, I did um, uh, something that um, was inspired by some of the literacy, literature that I read. Um, I read a piece by Ness that basically 
um, they've done a study that that observed about a thousand hours or maybe more um, uh, hours of classroom teaching and codified everything that happened in the classroom and, and anything that was to do with uh, literacy, direct instruction to do with literacy, they'd given it a special code and then they worked out what percentage of classroom time was spent doing literacy. And I read this and it was something like 3% of, of time spent in lessons was, was, was on literacy and, and teaching students how to read or how to write or how to answer a question, um, whatever literacy skill it, it was. Well, 3%, that's, that's really terrible. That's really shocking. Oh. But um, it, it gave me kind of a baseline. And so I, I did some observations in my, in my clinical practice school then. And, um, I didn't observe thousands of hours, although, although it might have felt like it at the time, it wasn't thousands of hours. Um, and it was a real pleasure to observe as well, I might add. Um, but I, I just kept a rough tally of any time that I saw, well, a, a good tally of, of any time that I saw um, literacy being taught or, or being explicit. And then I went home and I, I worked out the numbers and I, I was honest in, in my reflections as well. You know, it wasn't the most robust study, but it was, it was just intended as to be comparative and just so that I could index how close things were. And I found out we pretty much bang on, a bang on 3%, give or take. And so I realized what I was experiencing was, was fairly consistent and fairly reflective. However, a couple of key differences a lot of the, the lessons that were observed in Ness's study, they weren't practical subjects. And so I, I kind of thought, well, hold on, 3%, it doesn't sound that much, but when you think you've got 60 minutes in a lesson of which time is allowed for coming in, time is allowed for, for going out, time is allowed for, for behavior management and all the other things that go on in a classroom, which when I, when I was starting to read the literature, I wasn't really considering. Um, so when I was in that classroom and I got all my data and I got my, my, my specific classroom understanding, I came away from that actually thinking, do you know what, that's, that's not too bad and it's good quality stuff and it's not taking away from the music making. So I started to build a picture now in my head that it wasn't just research, there was clear observation and there was conversation. And there was a big turning point when I started having discussions with my mentor just, just about about this kind of thing. Okay, we've got all these cross-curricular responsibilities. What's the intention of the department? And, and ultimately it became clear in that moment, well, we are a, a music department, we are music specialists, we are teachers, and, and we have um, an important role in teaching lots of different aspects. But if we do a disservice to the music teaching, we're gonna be doing a disservice to the students' literacy skills anyway, because they'll have all this literacy ability, but they won't have anything to apply it to because they won't have the subject and the content knowledge. So that for me was a, was a big moment and a big turning point in, in sort of developing that philosophy and that experience. And all of these different points that I've mentioned, they were, they were summarized as reflections, as points of evidence, as, as tangible moments in in that journey for me um, as, as part of this assignment and reading you know I've had time away from this assignment now and, and reading it back was really interesting for me and, and and thinking oh yeah that that was a big step for me that uh, and I can kind of trace oh that's the moment where I where I become um, I change from being an academic researcher to a reflective practitioner and that was really nice for me and there's also a moment where I think, well, that's where I go from becoming a, um, maybe a, a, a PGCE um, university-focused 
um, student to someone who's a student teacher seeking to, to, to develop a vision and a philosophy, uh, hopefully for a career um, in teaching. So, yeah. That, that was maybe a short summary. <laughs> well, everyone talks very glibly, I think, don't they, about being a reflective practitioner. But I think that outline really shows how many kind of bits there are to doing that successfully. We've got that very rigorous look at the literature, but that kind of is nothing without a context in which to place it. But then once you're in the context, you, you have to not become kind of submerged in that context and unable to step back and take a look at what's going on and, and, and get a bit of distance from what's going on. So, I mean, how, how have you found that process of doing that? And, and how do you see that carrying on in future when, of course, your, your workload as a teacher is going to double? It's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, a tricky thanks. prospect, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think um, one of the challenges of doing it on the PGC is, is fundamentally I didn't have a huge um, uh, body of context to start with, you know, I've been in teaching for two seconds and, and then all of a sudden I'm trying to reflect on teaching whilst at the same time learn about teaching and that, that was a, a challenge. So I think maybe going forward I would have just a little bit more experience and a little more grounding and, um, and, and then I'd maybe enable myself to be a little bit more selective about, about um, Perhaps even my research, I could, I could maybe be bolder to discount stuff. However, if you are to discount research, I think maybe that because you feel like it doesn't suit my context, then what's the point of the research? I, th I think actually it's better to say, well, that's not relevant to my specific context, so I'm going to read it. I'm going to find out what's relevant to someone, someone else's, and you can learn a, a little bit more. Um, so I, I think having that additional context will be really, really helpful and really, really beneficial. Um, I think as well, working with other people, um, because I, I had my own decisions and this was my own assignment, so you know I got on with my own thing basically. But if you're working in a school with other reflective practitioners, then you can discuss, you can talk, you can you can agree a, a kind of c combined focus. I can go away and read a couple of books and some articles. Colleagues can do the same, and we can support one another. Um, and the, and the. The turning points for me were, were usually anchored to discussions because it's at that point where you have to, you think you know someone, something until you have to sit down and explain it and teach it, um, as I've learned, much much to my peril. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, having, having that time to go away, learn and know that you're going to come back and speak to someone about it, I think will be really helpful to support me as a reflective um, practitioner and hopefully support others as well. And, and from that, then, you, you can see how the research relates to your context, because maybe you can try some things out. I might try something out, someone can observe me. And in fact, in the, in the research that I was reading about darts, it was saying that the way that they're most effectively used is a group of people get together, they decide which darts they're going to use, and they share that pedagogy, and they share those tools in multiple different contexts, multiple different lessons, and then they get back together, they feedback what worked, what didn't. I just think that's a great example, not just of reflective practice, but collaboration as well. So um, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think, yeah, we'll get harder because um, time will be at a push, but I think there's way around, ways around that. 
And the kind of ultimate aim of this particular piece of work was to crystallise your philosophy around yeah. something. So to put you on the spot slightly, by the time you'd done all of this work, and I mean, we, we can see what a huge amount of work has gone into this. This is not a, a glib kind of, oh, I just think it's this. There's obviously been a, a, a huge number of ingredients to this. How did that philosophy turn out in the end? Well, shall I read it? And, read away. And we'll yeah. see if I've changed my mind on anything <laughs> yes. in the last couple of months. Okay. Um, I, I remember the philosophy actually being something that was really enjoyable to write. Um, it felt like the culmination of, um, of, of, of the um, assignment. And I put it in bold as well. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I said. Um, I, be I, be I believe <laughs> I believe that we should be ambitious and optimistic. Music teachers should seek out and create authentic opportunities to implement quality research backed literacy instruction within the subject area in a way that supports improved outcomes for students in both music and literacy learning. Rather than finding tension between subject specific demands and the requirements of the literacy and numeracy framework, Music teachers should seek to recognise the opportunity that effective literacy teaching will give with regards to deeper musical understanding and learning. Uh, and I still agree with that. And um, it's a philosophy, so I don't, I don't give away any clues as to how that can be done. And it's more about why we should do it that way. And I do, I do think that's, um, that, that philosophy encapsulates what I hope to get to. But when and if I'll ever get to that point is, a, is another question entirely, but I, I do hope so. Um, so yeah, that's my that's philosophy. Your philosophy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I suppose everybody comes into the PGCE with, with beliefs and, and values and philosophies, and then I suppose those get challenged from all different angles, whether that's just going into the classroom and finding out what it's like, or, or the reading, the assignments, uh, all the discussions that you talk about with all the people who are involved. I mean, I, I, how... How, if at all, has your own wider philosophy changed? I mean, you came onto the programme and I know you, you have strong beliefs about how music should be taught and you've had two school experiences and, and you've done all of this work. Has there been a huge change? Have there been huge challenges? Has that philosophy survived intact? It's definitely changed and definitely developed as, as I as I understood things maybe in a slightly different way. And undeniably cha changed a little bit, you know, to get points for cheesiness. Oh, <laughs> everyone changes, don't they, on a PGC? Um, I, maybe I can mention about teaching in general and, and my sort of understanding and expectation, then I'll talk a bit about the music side of things. So um, I think I was quite surprised that myself, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm generally pretty relaxed, quite liberal, and, and you know, it, uh, there's a lot of things in life that don't really bother me and I don't let them stress. But... Um, children talking while I'm talking <laughs> and uh, other things like very soon became clear to me that, that, that I wasn't going to let that happen so I, I think my philosophy um, around something some things like that just it was practical day to day um, uh, you know and uh, became really clear and you know it's not just children talking while I'm talking I, I, I want it to be a fair and, and positive learning environment so I found myself um, being very very consistent not necessarily strict but very very consistent and, and firm and fair and, and not afraid to to use a behavior policy as and when 
And I thought that that was going to be maybe, I, I wouldn't have expected that basically. I thought maybe I'd be the kind of teacher who'd be like, oh yeah, it's such a, oh, you're saying something so interesting. I really want to hear what you have to say. When in actual fact, uh, I, I more or less be like, it's great, but hand up, okay. And uh, so that, was really, that was really interesting. That was a bit of a journey. Um, and with, with regards to music as well, I um I love I absolutely love music and um there's there's been times when I when I haven't absolutely loved music to be honest and doing the PGC has been a um a wonderful time for me to really explore my knowledge um understand how I came to acquire that knowledge and maybe understand what I can do with that knowledge and and during that process I kind of think well what would be better for for the for another generation of, of musicians how how could they benefit from a from a from a more improved or a changed um musical um education and and ultimately that that that's all i can really hope for or philosophize on is that what whatever i can do in in my music teaching will 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 benefit the the individuals and so I think my philosophy as a, as a music teacher actually is, is less about me and more about the students now. Um, it's more about whatever context I'll be working in at the time, more about whatever department I'll be working in at the time. Um, that, that will be a huge defining feature of my philosophy. Um, so if it requires me to be, um, to put my classical music head on, I, I, I'll be happy to do that. And if it requires me to maybe go down a slightly different musical route, then I'll be happy to do that as well. Um, and, and I think that is a testament to what we are um, taught to do on this PGC, which is not, we're not taught this is how you teach music and this is what you should do. We're taught this, these are the principles of good teaching and you're going to have to develop your own philosophy and work out a few other bits to fill in the gaps. But I think that's right. I think, I think we do need to, to do that as subject specialists. And that kind of connects to my to my thoughts on literacy as, as well, I suppose, in that if you went to a, a school or you had a class of students who were all hugely advanced with their literacy, hugely numerate, then you can do you can do different things with those students than you would do with students that really did need that extra support um, with their literacy or with their numeracy. So, yeah, in essence, I think my philosophy is um, less about me, more about the students, more about the needs of the students, and I, I'm pleased that it, it has gone that way because na naturally when you decide to do a PGC uh, uh, everyone whether they will admit to it or not needs to make that decision slightly selfishly it's a hard year you're, you're going to enter a challenging profession you need to make that decision based on whether it's right for you and you need to make that decision based on whether it's right for your life and your skill set and so on and so forth and so, of course, a, an element of my decision to do a PGC and become a teacher was selfish. And as I've developed the skills to be, well, I hope I've developed the skills to be a teacher, <laughs> I, I'd like to maybe just let go of, of that and, and focus more on, more and more, consistently more and more, on the needs of, uh, of the students, musical or, or otherwise. Yeah. So I think that's how my philosophy has shifted. Well, just picking up on that last point you made, I mean, we're filming this on the very last day of the PGC programme. So you are a newly, freshly minted NQT, newly qualified teacher going off to a third school. You know, you've experienced two schools on the programme. You're off to a third school where I suppose in some ways you'll have more freedom to do what you want to do. Um, maybe, maybe you'll have less time to do certain things because there'll be a lot more teaching to be done. 
And thinking about the research side of things, the kind of research and inquiry side of things, I mean, you've made two appearances on Research Bites, which kind of implies strongly that it's gone pretty well for you, the research side of things. How do you see that going forward now into the future? Have you got a kind of wish list of things you want to find out about or things you want to read about or do? Um, and how do you see that kind of being part of your work as a teacher now as you, you head into a long and, long and happy career? Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, um, long and happy, that's a bonus, yes, isn't it? both. Great. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I, what I need to do going forward really is separate out research and, and inquiry. I love to read um, and I think keeping on top of just maybe it's a blog, maybe it's a few articles, maybe it's a book that you've got on the go at, at any given point just to constantly be making sure you're adding something, make, making sure you're learning something or challenging a viewpoint. That would be my inquiry and, and, and if something comes up in a lesson or if I have a student that has a particular requirement then I can make sure I'm, I'm doing some inquiry around that. Research for me on, on this level, it, it it requires a substantial amount of time and a substantial amount of focus. And so, you know, level, level seven, master's level research, I think um, it might be a bit of an ask to, to do alongside an NQT year. However, a, a, throughout an NQT year or, or years thereafter, throughout my inquiry, I, I might begin to get more, more and more interested in certain areas and, and then decide ultimately that it, there could come a point where I'd want to pull the trigger and, uh, and go and do, do a master's, top up the master's, do a dissertation. And that would be something that I'd really look forward to. But um, So in inquiry, all, all the time, consistent. Research, there, there might be specific bursts of energy that are dedicated to specific research as and, as and when the needs require. And then there might be sort of a bigger chunk of research, sort of more academic research in the future. Because um, I have been quite a geek and I have quite enjoyed the research side of things. And ultimately, the reason why I've enjoyed it is because it's helped me improve um, as a student teacher. And hopefully it's helped, helped me to have some skills and qualities that will help me be a good teacher as well. Well, thank you, Matthew. There's, a, there's an enormous amount of stuff there for any teacher watching this. You know, there's takeaways, whether you're a music specialist or a literacy specialist or something completely different. But that brings us to the end of another Research Bite. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for, for being with us while we discussed that piece of work. And we'll be back soon. PGCE Research Bites comes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and is presented this week by me, Tom Breeze. It showcases the best student teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Thanks to Matthew Green from PGCE Secondary Music who joined us today to share his research. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and PGCE Research Bites will be back soon. 